the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever we are americans this is always right on am 1420 the answer is your host bob france Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Eight minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're already rolling on a Wednesday. It's the 13th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you so much for being with us. Coming up on the program in about an hour at 1010, we're going to talk to our good friend from the Ohio Press Network, also our State House correspondent for AM 1420, The Answer. Jack Windsor is going to be joining us. Jack and I are going to talk about a lawsuit that has been filed against the Ohio Elections Board because the Ohio Elections Board has been kicking the can down the road as it pertains to complaints made about Joe Blystone and his um, uh, his uh, campaign contribution uh, or campaign finance law violations, I guess is what we should call it. And uh, it's, we're less than three weeks away-ish from the, uh, from the election, from the primary election. And this is something that needed to be dealt with in a hurry. It is not. And so a lawsuit has been filed to get the elections board up and on their feet and dealing with this. Because people need to know whether or not this person has broken the law and whether or not he would be even eligible for votes on May 3rd. People need to know this. So a lawsuit has been filed, Jack, and uh, his team is all over it at the Ohio Press Network. So we're going to talk about that coming up at 1010, among other things. And then at 1110, uh, we're going to talk to Neil McCabe, as we do each and every uh, Wednesday now. Neil McCabe, of course, is a reporter for the Ohio Star. He and I are going to talk about the appointment of Steve Dettelbach. You probably remember that name. Steve Dettelbach was one of the instrumental uh, figures 
in implementing the consent decree forced upon the city of Cleveland by the Obama administration. You probably recall that anyway. He is uh, now, after doing, uh, I think, what a lot of people would consider to be a lot of damage to the city of Cleveland, and particularly to the city of Cleveland police, he has now been appointed by Joe Brandon uh, to lead the ATF, even though Joe Brandon doesn't know what that is. It's the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. He calls it the AFT, which, of course, would be the American Federation of Teachers, but that's because he's Joe Brandon, and he's kind of an idiot. Uh, but we are going to talk about that with Neil McCabe and also about the governor's race. Jim Renacy, Mike DeWine. Mike DeWine continues his ad campaign and never mentions Jim Renacy, even though Jim Renacy, in the most recent polling, is slaughtering him. He's never even talking about him. Neil McCabe's got some theories as to why that might be, and that'll be coming up. So we have uh, Jack Windsor at 1010, Neil McCabe at 1110, and we welcome you at 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers. Oh, and then, of course, don't forget, you can leave your message for me. We've got some good ones that came in overnight. People listen to the podcast of this show, you know, outside of the live show, and they hear it, and they hear something. And they've got to say something, or they've got to ask something, and they're doing what I ask. And they're going to uh, alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. That is the companion website to this program. And they go to the sound off button, and they click uh, uh, record a message. They stop the recording, they send it, and away it comes right to me. And I will play them right here on AM 1420, The Answer, during the next live show, which, of course, is right now. So we've been talking about inflation since we got the number on Monday. Uh, a new 40-year high, so congratulations to Joe Brandon. You have outdone yourself. Uh, last month, we had a 40-year high. This month, it's a higher 40-year high. Uh, I can hardly wait to see what ha- what's in store for us come May. But the consumer price index rose 8.5%. And for people who say, yeah, but what does that mean, Bob? What does that mean to me? What does 8.5% mean to me? I'm going to share that with you. There's a terrific job, a breakdown that has been done here by the Washington Examiner. What do inflationary percentages mean for the average American family? How much are my bills going up? And there's great information I want to share with you. And I'm going to do that so we can really understand what Biden and uh, Propaganda Patty uh, believe to be the Putin price hike. And that's what they do. That's what they say over and over and over again. I, I spent a good deal of time on this yesterday. The Putin price hike. It's all because of Putin, right? Well, we've got news on that as well. Yesterday, I just kind of gave you, you know, as we all know, here's what prices were like, you know, before Brandon took office, and here's what they've been since, that it's not about the time that Putin went into Ukraine that led to this hike in prices. It was the time that Biden went into the Oval Office that led to the price uh, hike in prices. And we've got specific evidence of that now, too. So I want to share all of that with you, but not until... I ask you to rise. Now, before I ask you to rise, stay seated for just a second because I want to get something out. Um, I received uh, in the just in the postal mail to the radio station an unbelievable uh, gift, and that's literally what it was. It's just a gift, unsolicited, unexpected. Didn't really know why uh, I was I was honored in such a way, but. It really was an honor, and it was really just an incredible appreciation that I have. Um, a gentleman sent me a, his name is Steve, and I'm not going to give his last name because he didn't ask for credit for this. 
But he sent me a beautiful piece of metal wall art. It is heavy duty. It is a seriously beautiful piece of art, and it is an American flag. And this metal American flag, which is painted and stamped out, it is it is um, uh, it is it is a cutout. All of the stars are cut out, uh, and then the uh, stripes on the thirteen stripes, the red and white stripes, um, also cut out stamped out, if you will, I'm trying to find a way to describe it, um, is the Pledge of Allegiance. And he sent it to me, and I actually received it toward the end of last week, and I didn't send him a thank you because I wanted to get it mounted first. I wanted to have it hung up in the studio where I can see it every day when we do our pledge. Well, just yesterday I was able to make that happen. It's on the wall in front of me now, and I sent him a thank you note last night. Uh, I also took a couple of pictures of it, which I will post uh, on alwayswrite.us. But I just want to say thank you to Steve. And his message to me said, I'm not looking for any credit. I'm not looking for anything in return. I just saw this, and I thought it was thought of you and thought you would really appreciate it, something you can use as your own flag um, to do during the Pledge of Allegiance. And it's just such a beautiful piece of art. And um, I can't tell you what it means. It's just, you know. I don't know that in my life I've ever sat around listening to a radio show and had something that the host said have enough of an impact on me that I would go buy him a gift and send it to him. Um, <laughs> it's why I mean this is extraordinarily humbling, which is what I told him in my in my thank you. And uh, Steve, you listen every day. I know you did. You do because that's what you said in your letter to me and that was accompanied uh, that accompanied the, the gift. Uh, so I hope you're listening right now. And if you if you haven't checked your email yet, check your email for my personal message to you. But from a public standpoint, I just want to say thank you to Steve, um, your generosity and your kindness and your, uh, I don't even know what else to call it, your sharing of your patriotism with me by sending me this gift is appreciated more than you know. So it is hanging right now in this very studio, and I am extraordinarily proud of it. And I'm going to look at it right now when I ask you to rise. And now go ahead and get on your feet if you would. And I know people are very, very passionate about this. Face the flag that you have, no matter what kind it might be, and put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you're driving, you are, of course, exempt from standing. You can probably still manage driving with one hand for a minute or two, a minute or two here while we say our pledge of allegiance. If you are a Brandon supporter who doesn't care about the Brandon price hike and continues to pass the buck to Putin for the price hike. If you are a believer in leftist principles, in indoctrinating children, and if you are a believer in leftist principles of erasing our southern border, just to name a few, then you don't really believe in what that flag stands for, and you are excused from pledging your allegiance to it. We wouldn't want you to be dishonest with yourself. Instead, go ahead and take a knee just like your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You kind of have to see it to really appreciate it. I mean, it's it's painted and it's a beautiful, it's beautifully polished and shiny, uh, but then it is also stamped out, like stencil stamped out. 
um, uh, the uh, the Pledge of Allegiance across the stripes, and then all of the stars as well. It's just a, it's really a beautiful thing, and I and I and I really really appreciate that. All right, uh, as we did all of that, it is already now nine eighteen. So I'm going to take our time out here, and then I'm going to come back and tell you about those numbers. What does the Brandon price hike of eight and a half percent, the highest in over forty years, what does that really mean to the average American family, like yours, your bills at the store? at the gas pump, etc. I've got hard numbers to really make people understand this, and I hope they remember it. I hope you don't suffer it between now and November, but I fear that you are going to. We are all going to suffer from those numbers, but um, regardless, uh, I, I want you to remember it come November. I want you to remember it when it's time to decide whether or not we want to elect a party that is responsible for the Brandon price hike rather than trying to flip the script and turn things around. So prices matter to all of us. All right, friends, 922 now. Let's 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 get some real numbers now, right? You know, we hear and and those of us who are completely finished we were finished with the Brandon administration before it even started, let's be honest but who are completely finished with the destruction uh, of this country economically and in so many other ways uh, that the Brandon administration has, uh, has visited upon us. Uh, let's, let's get more specific, though, now. This is great work turned in by the Washington Examiner, and I want you to hear some of these numbers. When I say inflation increased by 8.5%, you're probably figuring or wondering, how does that affect me? What does that number mean? Well, here, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, that 8.5% translates into this. Let's start at the grocery level, right? Most important thing you can do, well, I don't know, I guess probably the most important thing you can do is keep shelter. Uh, we can talk about that, too, keeping a roof over your head. But beyond that, you have, to, you have to eat to survive. So let's go with that and call that top priority here. The price of food at home has ballooned 10%, not 8.5, food, groceries, 10%, according to the Consumer Price Index. That is an increase from the 6.1% growth of the cost of food at restaurants. So home grocery shopping versus eating out, 10% increase, 6.1% increase at the restaurant side. So hard numbers, here you go. Average weekly grocery spending is now at $148 a week. That is a leap from an average of $113 and 50 cents pre-pandemic. That's a significant hike in weekly grocery shopping, this according to the Food Industry Association. People spent even more at grocery stores during the height of the pandemic when eating out was not an option, of course, so that's why they went to the pre-pandemic numbers to make this more apples to apples. People who are struggling financially are typically less likely to eat at restaurants, making the increased cost of food at home particularly pernicious. Staples that you eat at home, such as poultry, fish, eggs, have increased 13.7%. The price of beef, 16%. So as an example, let's say you're purchasing a gallon of whole milk at this week's shopping trip. You're now paying an average of $4.02 for a gallon of milk. More than half the federal minimum wage according to the Department of Agriculture. That's an increase from last year when a gallon of milk went for about three fifty nine on average. If a family bought two gallons of milk per week, and most, gall- uh, most of the families of, of four need that, 
That translates to an extra $44.72 in extra annual spending. Or, obviously, you can break that down by the month if you would like, and you look at your monthly uh, grocery bus, uh, budget. Let's look at eggs. A dozen eggs used to be $1.63 a year ago, pre-Biden. Now, $2.05 on average. So if a family wanted to make burgers, a pound of ground beef, four seventy-six on average, compared to what it was last year, before Brandon at four oh four. That's a seventeen point eight percent increase. So if you've got burgers, eggs, milk, and these are just typical staples, you are paying obviously a lot more money per individual purchase when you go ahead and budget that out by the week, by the month, and by the year, you're talking about some very, very high in other words, you are talking about taxation. Right? That's what we're talking about here because inflation is taxation. Let's pivot from the grocery store. Let's say you filled every, you filled up the cart as best you could. You got a much higher bill, an average of $148 for that cart full of food, as opposed to what it used to be at $113. And now you got to go get some gas in the tank for the week's uh, uh, work to come. All right. Gas prices have gone through the roof, especially in the past month, as propaganda patty likes to tell you, because of the Putin price hike. But that doesn't tell the whole story. A year ago, a gallon of regular unleaded, now this is a year ago, this is March of uh, 2021, two months into the Brandon administration, it was about 286. The average price for a gallon of gas now sits at 410 right now across the country. And yes, that takes into account over 6, 650 a gallon in California, and then places where it's under 4 at 350, 360, 370, 380, depending on where you are. Uh, around the country right now, but the average nationally is 410. So what does that mean? Well, as a, an example, the owner of, for example, a Toyota Camry would have to uh, would have had to spend fifty two dollars and ninety cents to fill that tank up at this time last year, as Brandon was just getting started with the price hikes. It was around two bucks under Trump, two eighty six in the spring of twenty twenty under under Brandon, a uh, twenty twenty one rather under Brandon. Then, of course, as we know, it got up to the, you know, three, three and a quarter, 350 range as we got through last year. And then, of course, at the beginning of this year, uh, it surged well over $4 a gallon because that part was impacted by global energy costs because of the war in Ukraine. But comparing again apples to apples, the owner of uh, a typical sedan, a Toyota Camry, I didn't pick that, by the way. I wouldn't pick that, but it's in the story. Would spend fifty two ninety to fill that tank last year. That same person with that same car now paying seventy five eighty five for the same amount of fuel. That's a massive burden. We're talking about twenty three dollars more per fill up. How many times do you fill your car a month? If it's one time a week, then you fill it more than four times. Obviously, there's four point three weeks in a month. So multiply that $23 times 4.3. You're spending at least $100 more per month out of your budget going into that gas tank. If you commute a little longer than other people, let's say you're driving 30 to to 35 miles to work every day, you're probably going to need to fill that up twice a week. And now you go ahead and double that extra cost. If a person fills up once a week, from their trips to work in the grocery store and so on and so forth, if you add it all up, you're talking about tacking on another $1,200 annually to your expenses just in the gas tank. That's a tax 
They said they wouldn't raise any taxes on anybody under $400,000 a year. Everybody in America is paying this tax now. What about the first part that I said? Shelter. Keeping a roof over their head. The rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage recently shot above 5%. According to Mortgage Daily News, or excuse me, News Daily, the average rate is now 5.12%. That's the highest rate for a 30-year mortgage since rates crossed beyond 5% for a couple of days back in 2018, and before that, back in 2011. The monthly mortgage payment on a median asking price home has risen to a record of $2,234, according to real estate brokerage Redfin. That's 31% higher than it was a year before, before Brandon took over, when the mortgage rates were around 3.18%. The average mortgage payment is up $537 since the start of the year alone. That's just since the start of this year. Because of the higher rates, buying a home is less affordable, so some consumers are choosing what? Got to rent. Rent an apartment, rent a home. Well... Rental prices also up 8.5%, just like the headline, uh, excuse me, far beyond the 8.5% headline inflation. Beg your pardon. Rental prices, one and two bedrooms, up 24.4% and 21.8%, uh, uh, 21.8% respectively in March. So we're talking about, again, putting this in raw dollars. We're, we're talking about an average of about $5,200 a year in increased costs for a regular household, a household family of four. The 8.5% Brandon price hike, which started the moment Brandon took office, not the moment Putin invaded Ukraine, is costing the average American family around $5,000 a year. I'd like anybody who voted for Brandon to tell me how you can justify that. Tell me how this is all Putin's fault. Tell me how propaganda Patty can get away with telling us that story every day at the press briefings. Let's talk about it together at 216-901-0945. After the news, Always Right Radio. Right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 938. We continue now on AM 1420. The answer. Always right radio. Don't forget Jack Windsor, the Ohio Press Network, coming up at 1010. Neil McCabe, the Ohio Star, coming up at 1110. So I just gave you some of the raw numbers, you know, adding up to around $5,000, around $5,200 per American family of four, per American household as it pertains to uh, inflation which you might as well just call a tax increase because it is directly the responsibility of the uh, the federal government, which is, which is leading us down this road. How do we know this? Again, all of the Putin price hike language from, uh, from the administration aside, let's deal in, in statistical and economic reality. Inflation has risen steadily since Biden took office. In month one, the month he was sworn in, January of 2021, inflation rose, the consumer price index, 1.4%. By May of 2021, it increased 5%. By November, 7%. 
Now, ask yourself, when did the Russian invasion of Ukraine happen? It's been, what, about seven weeks now? It's been about seven weeks. And the consumer price index increase month over month has gone from 1.4% the month that Biden was sworn in to 8.5% now, and they want to call all of that Putin price hike. And apparently, if you don't agree with that, according to the administration, if you don't call in, uh, inflation from 1.4% to 5% to 7% to 8.5%, if you don't, if you, if, if you try to blame the branded administration for all of that, you're siding with Putin, according to the White House. The White House now is saying that if you try to blame the Brandon administration for inflation, you are, quote, fully in lockstep with Putin. Where do we get this? We get this directly from a White House official who said, quote, no, let me, uh, let me back, that up, back up for one second on that before we get to the White House official, Jesse Lee. Senator Rick Scott from Florida, putting a, a, a very clear view of this uh, in front of all of us, said today's CPI, Consumer Price Index, numbers should be a big wake-up call for Joe Brandon. He said Biden. I'm getting used to saying Brandon. But we know nothing will change. I've been sounding the alarm on Joe Biden's raging inflation crisis for more than a year. But while inflation skyrockets higher each month, Biden and his incompetent lackeys remain missing in action. As long as he is in office, families will continue to suffer, debt will keep climbing, and prices will skyrocket even further. Jesse Lee, Senior Advisor for Communications to the National Economic Council at the White House, accused Scott of being, quote, fully in lockstep with Putin in blaming Biden for Putin's price hike. He literally tweeted those words, quote, Putin and at Senator Rick Scott fully in lockstep in blaming Biden for Putin's price hike. Now, again, I just, I I, I look at that and I listen to that and I get insulted by the insinuation that we are so stupid that we would buy that all of this happened in the seven weeks or so since the start of the Ukraine war and the invasion by Russia. It's been going on for a a full calendar year and a a quarter or so, and they want us to believe it all started seven, seven weeks ago when the invasion started. And if you don't agree with that, you are in lockstep with Putin. Well, guess who's in lockstep with Putin? Democrat Senator Joe Manchin. Because yesterday, Joe Manchin blamed the Biden administration, appropriately and correctly, for record high inflation. Quote, inflation is a tax. And today's historic inflation data tells another chilling story about how these taxes on Americans are completely out of control. When will this end, he said? It is a disservice to the American people to act as if inflation is a new phenomenon. The Federal Reserve and the administration failed to act fast enough. And today's data is a snapshot in time of the consequences of being felt, consequences being felt across the country. Instead of acting boldly, our elected leaders and the Federal Reserve continue to respond with half measures and rhetorical failures, searching for where to lay the blame. The American people deserve the truth about why record inflation is happening and what must be done to control it. Wow. Now that is a shot across the bow, except that it's not across the bow when you're already on the same ship. He is a Democrat. He is a Democrat Biden supporter, by and large, even though he stood in the way of the Build Back Broke bill, which he should have. And I think Joe Manchin is an American hero for that. He blocked and helped block uh, one of the most devastating pieces of spending 
trash that we would really have ever seen in this country. So you give Joe Manchin credit for that, but he's still a Democrat. And he still, by and large, supports the Brandon administration and their initiatives. But he's on their side, and he is even saying, enough of this blaming Putin for for decisions and policies that have led to this record-breaking inflation for the American people over the course of the past year plus. This is not a, a, a Putin price hike. This is an American administration, meaning the Biden administration, and Federal Reserve decision price hike. They're the ones who have set the table for all of this. They have set the conditions for all of this. And no matter how much propaganda patty, uh, and that's our new name for Peppermint Patty, because we needed to update that, and thank you to my friend Dan Ramada for that uh, suggestion. But because of propaganda patty continuing to push the Putin price hike uh, nonsense, you know, uh, they, they actually think people are buying it. Well, here comes a Democrat, Joe Manchin, saying, no, no, stop it. Stop trying to find new places to place the blame. The blame belongs on our policies, the Federal Reserve and the administration. So apparently he is also marching in, quote, lockstep with Vladimir Putin. This, according to the Brandon administration. So how's it hitting you? That's the question I ask you when you dial 216-901-0945. How is the Brandon price hike hitting you? I just listed some of the costs of groceries, of fuel, of your housing, your rent, your mortgage, all of these things on the rise. I didn't even mention uh, insurance, but insurance rates and premiums going up as well, auto, home, uh, etc. I would like to know how it is hitting you and how are you handling it. This is the one thing that I always ask whenever we have you know economic crises like this, or if we go into recession and we start looking at you know huge price increases. What are you cutting out of the budget to make up for the other things that you can't cut out of the budget? You know what I mean? You have to fill the tank because you've got to get to work. And if it's costing you, you know, an extraordinary amount more than it used to to fill that tank, what did I say the average was from fifty-two dollars to seventy-eight dollars a fill-up? I believe is what it was. Or seventy-five, fifty-two is twenty-three dollars higher. Okay, where's that other eighty, ninety, hundred dollars a month coming out of? What what discretionary spending? Are you just never going to a game again? Never going to a movie again? Never going to uh, do anything recreational? Canceling vacation plans? How are you handling the Brandon price hike? All right, let's go to uh, Jim, who's calling us from West Park at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Jim, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Inflation and taxes is why we are finding us beholden to China. Now, Friday, I made a, I made a comment about Gibbons, okay, and I wanted to uh, run two points over at you. Okay, he said twenty twenty percent of the top percent pay eighty two percent of the taxes. Well, the top, if they own businesses and, and, and financial markets. They can pass the taxes and the inflation onto their consumers, or they can cut hours, they can lay off, or raise the, raise the cost of the product, which only hurts the middle class and the lower class, which the 50% don't pay anything. Uh, I can't understand how Uncle Sam can tax the people who work and pay people who don't work. And three, the cost of living. Say you and I work for a company, and they decide to give us a 3% cost of living raise, okay, you make $10 an hour, that would be $0.30 cents an hour raise, 
but I only make five dollars an hour. It's only a fifteen cent raise. So you're going to get twice as much in your raise as I get in mine. So the rich continue to get richer, and the poor continue to get poorer. I don't know the answers. I'm not a corporate. Uh, 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 I, I I believe in capitalism, but not corporate capitalism. All right. Okay. That's all I got to say for you today, Bob. Gotcha. Appreciate the call. Um, let, let's just let's just hit that last part. Typically, the cost of living raise or increase, rather, uh, you know, which is always around two and a half, three percent, um, is enough to cover the cost of living that we all pay. Usually, it's you know the usually the consumer price index doesn't rise to Brandon levels where it goes from one and a half percent to five percent to seven percent to eight and a half percent. Typically, a three percent increase will will cover it. And the reason they they you know they kind of stay say that it's the same is because three um, percent of ten dollars is is going to be as impactful to you based on what your living is like, what your lifestyle is like, what your expenditures are like, living at $10 an hour. Uh, and 3% of somebody making $40 an hour is going to be appreciably higher because they are probably living a much more expensive life. And that's just the reality of the situation. And if you want to make more money and you want to get a higher cost of living increase based on a higher per hour wage, then the obvious answer is going to be get promoted. Get a better job, get a higher paying job, and then your higher pay per hour will translate into a much higher cost of living increase than it is when you're only making five dollars an hour. And by the way, nobody makes five dollars an hour. Federal minimum, I think, is nine, nine and a half or something like that. And because of the pandemic and because of the um, worker shortage and everything else that's going on in this country, also a direct response and result of the Brandon administration. Because of that, companies are being forced to pay much higher wages now anyway. I would submit to you, and this is just a personal opinion, I'm not going to pick a job or a, or a company or, a, or an industry, but if you are still making a number that is unsatisfactory to you and you want to increase your wages, um, it's almost by choice. Okay? You understand what I mean by that? What I mean by that is you can't drive by businesses anymore without help wanted signs out front. And you can't drive by businesses without with help wanted uh, without without help wanted signs that also offer you really 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 competitive wages and in fact in many cases higher wages than they've ever paid before because the worker shortage is real. So if you're still making a number that is too low for your lifestyle or maybe your desired lifestyle, if you're still down in the minimum wage range at the place you're working right now. It's almost by choice because you could probably get yourself a better opportunity just by switching, going somewhere else. Or I would say, again, work a little bit harder, do a little bit more, and get yourself a promotion because the dollars are there for the companies that can afford to raise those wages. And it's not easy, by the way, considering the fact that uh, you know overhead, which most of which goes to employee salary, depending on the industry, I suppose. But overhead, you know, uh, determines and dictates what a profit margin is going to be for a business owner or for a business manager, and they don't like to raise their overhead to uh, huge numbers, particularly if you're in industry, the food industry, for example, the grocery industry. You know, the profit margins are razor thin anyway. But they're still increasing those wages because it's really competitive to get people to come to work. This has been a byproduct of the branded administration. And to be honest with you, if I, if I may be blunt, you know, the generation, the Gen Zers, 
who are of working age now, those who are 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, coming out of college, obviously the millennials, there's, there's a little bit of a less of a desire to go out there, work, get promoted, get a new, uh, new uh, you know, a raise with that promotion, get another promotion, maybe get bumped to a different company in a similar industry they're choosing. That tried and true and tested model of personal career advancement and salary advancement is is something that's a little bit lost on the youngest generations that are going on right now. That's just the reality. And aside from that, though, there is such a competition for workers now because of the, the policies that have been implemented in COVID and since COVID. Um, you, right now that, um, you know, there is a, there's almost a bidding war for workers. If you are not making what you want to be making right now, it's almost your choice because you've got to look around. You can probably make more going somewhere else. And I don't want to, I don't want to push anybody out of the position they're in, but I'm just telling you, if the bottom line for you is just my dollars and cents, you can't put a price on happiness. If you're in a job where you're comfortable and you enjoy the work and you like the people you're with and the people you interact with, the customers and so forth, you know, and maybe that's worth a couple of bucks an hour less to you. Can't put a price on happiness. But if your bottom line is just your bottom line, your dollar figure that's on that check, you can probably improve it if you look around because uh, uh, workers are wanted everywhere and they're overpaying for those people. All right, it's uh, 9.53 a.m. 1420, The Answer, Always Right Radio. Hey, uh, have you called uh, Empire Window Company yet? Have you decided to make your older house look brand new again with new siding from Empire Window Company? If you haven't, I don't know what you're waiting for. I mean, seriously. I I look at the uh, new siding jobs that I have seen uh, from Empire Window Company, and I, they show the before and after, and you can see some of these things online, too. You see the before and after, and I swear it's not the same house. It looks like you just moved to a brand new house. So if you want to move into a new house without leaving your home, how about you call 855-76-EMPIRE and ask them about how you can get 40% off of a siding job to make your house look brand new. And by the way, when you do the whole house, you also get free gutters, too. 24 months of 0% interest financing. And guess what else? What my wife and I did last summer was we did the window thing, which improved the value and increased the value of our home and also contributes to making it look and feel like new again. Empire Window Company now giving you 50% off the windows. So 40% off siding, 50% off windows, and your house is going to look new. And the best part is, you know, talk about workers, boy. Nobody better than those at Empire Window Company. These are window and siding installers, and that's all they do. They're experts. They don't bounce around and go from one type of construction job to another. These are specialists who do just windows or just siding, and that's all they do 40 hours a week, every week. So you want experts to do your job. You want a great price on your job. You call Empire Window Company, 855-76-EMPIRE, 855-76-EMPIRE, or log on to empirewindowcompany.com. Okay, 9.56 now. Let's go to some phone calls. I'm asking people how inflation is hitting you. The Brandon price hike. Not the Putin price hike. David and LaGrange, you're up on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, David, go ahead. Yes, Bob, of course, this is, uh, you know, Biden's inflation is hitting everybody, myself included. But what happens is other people suffer, too, because of what I have to change my living habits. I like to go out to eat. I like to take trips down to Nashville, Tennessee, see the bands. I like giving the bands generous tips. I like giving, you know, my uh, server at a restaurant a generous tip. 
But those people are suffering, too, because I'm cutting back because of brand. That is exactly correct. That is the you know the chain, the domino effect that people talk about. You have less money because of what you have to spend, which means you have less discretionary money, which means people you would spend that money on don't get it, uh, and then they suffer, and then it, and, and that continues. Now they have less money. Those and thank you for the call, David. Those those servers that you would tip big, who are counting on a certain amount of money every month for their own costs and their own spending. Uh, you know, they have less to spend, and so the people that they would normally spend it on get hurt. So it is. It's, um, uh, it is, it is, uh, not a vicious circle. That's the wrong phrasing. I guess, like I said, just the domino effect, but each person who makes less and has to spend more has to cut back. And then when they cut back, they're cutting back on somebody else. And it goes on and on down the line like that. Uh, thank you, David. Uh, let's go to Richard Gates Mills. Hi, Richard. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Yes, I wanted to point out, though, that in, one of the amazing things about Trump's booming economy was that the people without even a high school degree were getting 6% raises and everybody else was getting 3% raises. So it was reducing wealth inequality. That's a great point, uh, Richard, and thank you for the phone call. Um, you know, any again, any time wages go up, uh, see, that's one of the one of the lies that the left is telling you right now look at the record increase in wages and wages are going up for the reasons i described before the worker shortage has forced businesses to compete with each other paying higher wages so they're saying look at that under brandon the the wages are rising at record rates well that's super except that it doesn't do a, a worker a lick of good to get that higher wage if they have to spend more of that wage on uh, everything that they buy, from the grocery store to the auto parts store to the store to the clothing clothing store and on down the line, to their rent, to their mortgages, et cetera. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a give and a take there. Yeah, you're getting more, but yeah, you're spending more as well. When, when Trump was in office and wages were rising and taxes were falling, and inflation was not uh, rising to record levels like this, that's when people really benefited, and that's what contributed to making America great again. Let's go to Tom, who's calling us from Ron DeSantis land down there in Florida. Hey, Tom, go ahead. Hey, well, hi, Bob. How are you doing? Doing well, people sir. People forget one thing. Uh, inflation's hurting. Like my 401K is taking a, you know, taking a hit hard. You know, my stocks and everything. I don't know why. But it's hurting, you know, that hurts everything else. Like your other caller said, you're going to cut back on a lot of things you normally do. Well, you're 100% right. I, I, I don't have a 401K. I've got an IRA. And thank you for the call, Tom. I've got an IRA. Uh, my kids have investment funds uh, that were started by their grandfather uh, for their colleges. And, uh, and guess what? Every time a statement comes at the end of every month, it's less and it's less and it's less. My, my, my IRA is worth less now than it, uh, than it was worth a year ago, two years ago, three years ago uh, because of what's happening in the markets. So you're right. The economy, micro and macro level, you're getting hit at the micro level, like I said, your grocery bill, and at the macro level when it comes to your investments as companies everywhere are feeling the, the hit from the Brandon price hike. All right, we're going to take a time out here for the top of the hour news. On the other side of that, Jack Windsor, Ohio Press Network, is going to join us to talk about, well, a number of things, not the least of which being uh, the Ohio governor's race and why it is that the elections board is not acting on something that is very timely as it pertains to one of the challengers for Mike DeWine's throne. That story is coming up on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. 
We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed. Hour number two is underway, and I expect it to be a great hour. It is uh, nine minutes after 10 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 13th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. So let's talk a little bit more about the Ohio gubernatorial race. And let's talk about the individuals who are really involved in the race and individuals who are involved with dodging federal investigations and lawsuits over uh, campaign finance violations, campaign contribution violations. And of course, that would be uh, Farmer Joe uh, Blystone. Uh, who, um, as you know, has been ordered by the Ohio Secretary of State to repay over $100,000 in campaign contributions deemed to be illegal, is potentially going to be hit with another 130000 in likewise uh, returns and or similar returns, and could be facing hundreds of thousand dollars in fines for these violations. Well, these violations um, are being investigated by everybody, it seems, except for the Ohio Elections Commission. An Ohio voter has filed a lawsuit against the Elections Commission and Philip Richter, the executive director of the Elections Commission, along with all of the members, for not expediting uh, a hearing uh, to determine the status of these events. Uh, it's a little bit confusing, and uh, it's still being investigated, but the question is, is it going to be done in time for the May 3rd primary? So people will have an idea, especially as early voting is going on, how this may or may not impact their votes. Joining us now to discuss this and more is our good friend from the Ohio Press Network, Jack Windsor, who is also, by the way, a Statehouse correspondent for AM 1420, The Answer. Jack, good morning. Bob, good morning. It's an honor to be here with you and the listeners. Thanks for choosing me today. Of course. We're always going to choose you. You're our state house correspondent for crying out loud. <laughs> we don't have a choice. <laughs> I just we don't like ever it. want to take it for granted. It's an honor. Uh, no, we, no, we appreciate what you bring to the table every single time, Jack. So um, give us the background on this as you understand it, Jack, um, cool. because we've covered... You know, the whistleblower here was Blystone's own campaign manager or former campaign manager. She, uh, you know, she filed a complaint with the Elections Commission that was 58 pages long, I believe it was, alleging all of these violations with respect to cash contributions not being logged, cash contributions being uh, much more than the $100 limit, other contributions not being. And whenever she and others, Sarah Chambers, you know, brought this up to to the candidate and to uh, the treasurer of the campaign, which is Mrs. Blystone, they just said, don't worry about about it. Don't worry about it. Just let it be. Um, a very cavalier attitude for somebody who promises to return Ohio to constitutional uh, principles. Um, but but this is a big complaint. It's a big deal. And they're dragging their feet, it appears, at the Elections Commission. What do you know about this? Well, what you just mentioned regarding the former staffer of the Blystone campaign, that may have been the impetus for this, this lawsuit. Uh, Mary Capella, who was a Butler County voter, she filed two complaints involving uh, the Friends of Blystone after the campaign filed in January uh, their contributions and expenses for 2021. Mm-hmm. And what she wanted the Ohio Election Commission to do was expedite the process, so to have a hearing on the matters before the May 3rd primary. As we know, the primary for statewide offices is still going to happen. Uh, so voters are going to pull the lever in a few short weeks. What the commission did was the commission denied that request, 
and said that they would put it on the calendar, a regularly scheduled hearing calendar. And so as it stands, the hearing is scheduled for March, uh, excuse me, um, May 19th, which is over two weeks past the primary election. And so um, the voter, uh, Capella, and her attorney, Kurt Hartman, uh, out of the Cincinnati area, filed a writ with the Supreme Court of Ohio against the chairman of the Ohio Elections Commission, you mentioned him, Philip Richter, as well as the individual members of the Ohio Election Commission. And what what a writ of uh, mandamus means, basically, is Capella is asking the Ohio Supreme Court to look down at the Ohio Election Commission and say, you must hold an expedited hearing on these two complaints. And so where they are in the process, my understanding, uh, based on my conversation with Kurt Hartman, again, who represents Mary Capella in this case, um, is that summons were sent out from the court yesterday. And uh, that being the case, the Supreme Court has rules on uh, how to expedite election cases and, and timelines. And so all of the commissioners, Otto Beatty, Natasha Kaufman, Michael Kreitz, Christina Hagen, Ernest Knight, John Lyall, and Charlotte Tavares have five days to respond to the summons after they've been served. So let's assume that they were served yesterday or today. That would put a deadline for their responses to about April 16th or 17th. And once these OEC members answer, um, Capella and Hartman have three days to file evidence in a brief, and that would take it out to about April 19th or 20th. And then the OEC members have an additional three days to file their evidence in brief, which would fall on or about April 22nd or 23rd. And then any time thereafter, there would be a ruling from the Supreme Court to say, hey, you have to expedite this hearing or you don't have to. Um, so that's where it stands right now. There are two two issues, right? One is this mandamus and the Supreme Court case. And then the, the second set is, uh, okay, here are the two complaints that Capella filed with the Ohio Elections Commission involving um, the expenses and contributions to the Blystone campaign over 2021. Okay, um, that's a that's a good backgrounder. Um, a lot of important information about the process and the dates. By the way, obviously this pushes even if they get an expedited hearing, as you say, uh, this is going to push it right up to the eleventh hour, right up to to May, to May third, which is ridiculous considering people are voting right now. Um, but having said all of that and giving given that background, what would be the purpose of the actual hearing? You know, it, we're going to expedite this. Uh, the commission is, well, they want them to expedite this so that the commission can determine and do what? That's, that's what yeah. I want to know. That's what I think people want to know is, okay, they know the allegations. They know about what the uh, Secretary of State found, the $101,000 need to be returned, blah, blah, blah. Uh, all of the allegations of this campaign finance violation, uh, law violations, um, w- would this hearing uh, make him ineligible to be on the ballot with this hearing? Uh, I mean, what would be the outcome, I guess, if we yeah. do get an expedited hearing as it pertains to the uh, the validity of the election? Great, great question. And let me actually give a little bit of um, background to tie into answering that. Okay. Since the story we broke um, on uh, Blystone was released involving what you just said, the, the letter he received from uh, Frank LaRose's office, the Ohio Secretary of State, Blystone himself released a statement to the press indicating that he had been in communication with the Secretary of State's office and that they were working together 
and the amount of money that would have to be returned would be significantly lower, if any at all, and that what was reported, um, and we reported, as you mentioned, over 100000 in campaign contributions. The secretary said you must return, and then there was another 133000 that they needed to address and account for. Right. Uh, Blystone indicated that by April 15th, they would announce what that would look like. So we're about two days away from that. I did reach out to the secretary's office, and they indicated their goal is to work with not just Joe Blystone, but all campaigns, and to bring them into compliance citing the fact that, you know, election laws are complex. So that being said, um, you, have, you have really three issues here that Capella's bringing to the table. Number one, she's claiming that the Blystone can't uh, knowingly or should have known that they um, falsely reported contributions and they knowingly or should have known um, that they falsely reported expenses on the campaign, which would be, an election law violation. So the long answer to your question is if the commission said, hey, um, based on a preponderance of evidence, not, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt, but based on a preponderance of evidence, um, these are violations, what does that mean? Based on my understanding, they could refer this to the Franklin County prosecutor um, for additional action and investigation, which would, I assume, have, you know, potentially stiffer punishment, or they could issue fines against the campaign um, that they would be liable for, for paying. Um, those are the two, well, I guess the other, the third option would be if they say, hey, the, the information that Capella presented isn't sufficient, that we think there might be something here. Uh, five members of that panel, if they agree, they can assign an investigative attorney to do more research on the matter. And then I think it's within about 30 days they have to bring that evidence back and make a decision. We are talking with Jack Windsor, the founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. We're talking about the lawsuit filed against the Ohio Elections Commission for not dealing in an expedited manner with the Joe Blystone campaign contribution controversy, I guess. Allegations, in fact, findings by the Secretary of State of violations of the law. You know, the problem with all of this is none of these things are going to be done in time to give answers to voters. You know, there may be people, and I don't know, but there may be people who are really undecided about what they want to do in this primary. And maybe they're deciding, I really don't like Mike DeWine and I don't want him there anymore. And maybe I just haven't heard enough from Jim Renacci. And maybe I want to think about this guy, uh, this Blystone guy who's uh, not a real politician and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then they cast a vote for him. And then what happens in June when we get to the actual commissions and the hearings and everything else? And suddenly they found out that the guy that they voted for is not going to have a chance in hell of winning the actual go- uh, governor's race against the Democrat because bam, here come the findings of the commission. Here come all of the fines, all of the, uh, uh, you know, now, now it'll be confirmed laws that were broken, uh, uh, campaign finance violations that were committed, and, and we're electing somebody who is not honest, not just, not, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not, uh, uh, you know, forthright, I guess, with the people of Ohio. That's the problem with all of this. If it doesn't get done before the actual May 3rd primaries, it could lead to massive ramifications in the general election. Yeah. And, you know, there are two other issues there, Bob. Number one, based on my reading of everything, and I, I am not an attorney, so I, that's a I, that's a real strong qualifier. But based on what I've read, uh, it's black and white. Because we're a certain number of days before the primary election and because the complaints involve uh, these types of matters, it appears that the Ohio Election Commission should have expedited the matter. However, their argument is going to be, well, we've never done that. 
Um, we have a precedent dating back to 1997, uh, wherein uh, the attorney and the executive director was um, told by the commission that we're only going to expedite um, complaints that deal with false statements made by one campaign against another. So that's going to be their argument. But it seems like, to your point, I mean, the election's close. If it is black and white, why would you deny that? Why wouldn't you just go forward with it? But in all fairness to Joe Blystone, I want to report we've tried to do our due diligence. We've also reached back to the Ohio Secretary of State's office, and I said, look, I want the determination letters that would that are similar to the ones that were sent to Joe Blystone claiming that he needed to return $100,000, and then, you know, there were about uh, two dozen irregularities that were covered. I want those types of letters that were sent to other gubernatorial candidates for 2022, uh, as well as other U.S. Senate candidates for 2022. And the interesting part to me, and, and I'm not using this as a, a platform to blame, is that when I requested the letter that was sent out to Joe Blystone, I got that within a matter of hours. I'm now a week in, a week plus, waiting on the Ohio Secretary of State's office to supply information as to whether other campaigns receive those determination letters. So to me, this is a matter of, yes, is, is this an issue with Joe Blystone? It should be looked at. But are there other contenders in different races or even in the gubernatorial race that have similar issues? And we really need to be snappier with our reporting so that voters can make the appropriate decision. on. on Jack, Jack, tell me this. Is there any reason for suspicion of any other campaigns? And I ask that only because of the way this whole thing broke out. Um, this started with allegations made by the former campaign manager for Joe Blystone, who said, this is going on, and this has got to stop. She's the one who, who, who kind of blew the whistle there. So is there a reason, yeah. or is it a matter of course, for the Secretary of State to send out letters like this, just on the off chance that something's going on? Well, it happens, right? Based on my conversation with their press uh, person, um, it's not uncommon for these determination letters to go out. So that is one of the, the check boxes I tick and go, okay, there is, there is a possibility. Based on our reporting in the past, we've looked into you know filings of the Ohio Republican Party and found that things were late or maybe they weren't done correctly. And after our reporting, they went back and corrected it. And so I, I know that these things happen. I don't know how common they are. I don't know how significant they are. And that's why we requested the reports. I mean, based on my conversation with the, the Secretary of State's office, it would seem it may be likely that there are other candidates who just receive these determination letters. And, of course, they don't want that information leaked to the press because then close to election time, they're going to have to answer more questions than they're already answering um, as we get down to crunch time. Well, a uh, little tip for you in the press network. Um, one of the members of the commission uh, is actually my regular weekly commentator <laughs> on Fridays, Christina Hagan, who was just yeah. recently appointed to that commission by Mike DeWine. She'll be on with me tomorrow, so you might want to monitor the radio and uh, see if you can get any answers, or see if I can get any answers from her or from the commission itself uh, on tomorrow's broadcast, because this is obviously a story that is very, very timely uh, and time-sensitive, as we are three, less than three weeks away from voting to decide the uh, nominee for the Republican Party in this uh, gubernatorial race. Uh, so uh, we'll talk to her tomorrow and see where this story takes us. And Jack Windsor, thank you for all of the background information on this. We appreciate it. Keep us posted. Bob, thank you. It was an honor. Look forward to chatting again soon. Take care. Thank you, thank you Jack. That's Jack Windsor, Ohio Press Network. Joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll take a time out here. Um, we're going to come back and get more of your phone calls. How do you feel about this? Uh, any concerns about it? Let me rephrase. Not concerns. Will this impact your vote in any way? If you were considering voting for Joe Blystone, 
knowing that he's under investigation and has been ordered by the Secretary of State to return over $100,000 in contributions and to answer for 130000 more in contributions that are questionable, um, and, and that a complaint has been filed with the Elections Commission that the Elections Commission is sitting on. Does this bother you? Does this concern you? Will it change your vote? And if all of this comes to a head after the primary, in the unlikely event that he wins the primary, how will it impact the race against Nan Whaley, the likely Democrat nominee for governor? All of this has to be considered. You can tell me, as a voter, how you are considering it at 216-901-0945. Always write radio right back. Ten twenty-eight on Always Right Radio. Charlie is in Westlake, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Hey, Charlie, go ahead. Hey, Bob, how are you? Going back to your first hour, uh, you brought up Joe Manchin criticizing Biden as a Democrat, and I, I think that's pretty remarkable. And I'm, re- I'm remembering back how inflation was hitting us when Jimmy Carter was the, was the president. I bought my first house was eighteen percent interest. And right after that, a recession started. I'm expecting a recession. But I'm saying Joe, Joe Manchin, he probably could run. I mean, if Biden decides to run again, he could be primary. Just the way Teddy Kennedy primary Carter almost beat him until the, the Iran-Contra stuff happened. So I'm expecting, why is Manchin stepping out like that unless he's going to make a run for it? Well, I, I doubt very seriously he would run as a Democrat trying to primary uh, Joe Brandon because the the left that controls that party would completely dis- destroy and dismantle him. Could he? And thanks for the call. Could he uh, run as an independent? Could he run as a Republican and change? Maybe this is a you know another indicator of his willingness to say, you know what, I'm in a primarily red state of West Virginia. Um, I'm a Democrat who got elected there because I'm not a far-left Democrat. I'm moderate enough that I was able to pull some some centrist votes from there. Maybe I just need to make the uh, the full transition to Republican. Um, and that, by the way, is a transition that I would agree with and support. That is allowed to happen, as opposed to the other kinds. Uh, so transitioning from Democrat to Republican might be his, his real agenda here, and uh, he would have some crossover appeal in that regard. Moderate Democrats might like him, and ones who, don't, ones who see Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis as too far right, you know, maybe Joe Manchin is their answer, you know, a true center-right Republican. So I doubt very seriously he would run as a, as a Democrat, though, to primary uh, Joe Biden, because that would, just, that would be a loser from the get-go. Thank you for the call. We'll take a time out here for news. Come back. More of your calls, AM 1420, The is always left. Tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. 1037 Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer. Philadelphia, the first big city that had uh, eradicated its mask mandates indoors, is the first one to come back after just five weeks of freedom. For the face, 
Uh, they've come back and reinstituted the mask mandate. All indoor areas in the, in the city of Philadelphia. This is the first of many cities to come. Mark my words. The TSA also announcing uh, that they are very likely going to extend the mask mandate for travel for uh, all travel in the United States, whether it be by air, by rail, uh, by RTA. You're going to have to wear masks uh, if you want to travel, according to the transportation uh, uh, agency. And so I guess what all of this means is you thought we weren't going to see this guy anymore, but uh, he's still around. Always Right presents Real American Heroes. Real American Heroes. Today, we salute you, Mr. Driving Alone with a Mask Guy. Mr. Driving Alone with a Mask Guy. Real heroes don't just wear a mask when they're around other people. They cover their faces when they're riding stag on their way to work. But baby, you can't be too careful. Show that your tiny paper mask doesn't work worth a flip, but that doesn't stop you from strapping it on day after day, week after week. Don't you know we're in a worldwide pandemic? Besides, the world needs to know just how woke you are, even if your common sense is passed out of the back seat like an old drunken sailor. As long as he's got his mask on, yeah. So here's to you, Mr. Driving Alone with a Mask Guy. You may indeed suffocate in your own CO2, but at least you won't get COVID right up until you do. Brought to you by Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. What do you do when you see that guy? Do you do anything? When you're in a light and you look over and you see Driving Alone with a Mask Guy, what do you do? Do you just keep staring straight ahead? Or do you stare directly at him to shame him until you make eye contact? Um, or do you do what I do? You know the emoji that you have on your smartphone that says, uh It's the one where the hands are up at the shoulders and you're like shrugging going, I don't know. That's what I do. I see driving alone with a mask guy and I try to make eye contact and then I go like that. Just to say, what the heck are you doing? What is the matter with you? Who in your car right now is going to give you COVID? You're alone. Who in your car are you going to transmit COVID to? You're alone. Do you also have the vents on your car closed so that no COVID can can, can be sucked in through the engine and into your car? Are you making sure that you don't get COVID-19 by air vent? I mean, honestly, what are you people doing? I, I, I don't want to start a fight with anybody. I don't want to get into a Karen confrontation, but I will look at them if I can catch their eye and give them the, you know, the, the scrunched, scrunched up face of the furrowed brow the, and then the hands that say, dude, what are you doing? Driving alone with a mask guy. He's not going anywhere because they're bringing masks back. Why? Because of midtermicron. You know that the midtermicron subvariant is going to be detected very, very soon. That's why they're starting these cities back up. With mask mandates, it'll soon uh, be in federal buildings again. You'll soon be limited uh, uh, to uh, 25 people in an indoor setting, and maybe down to 15, maybe by 10, uh, 10 uh, per per individual grouping. That'll be probably not until uh, September-ish, August, September, I guess, probably when we reach that, because there's a phase. This is a phased-in return to COVID propaganda and fear, because by November, they want to be able to say it's just not safe 
to gather people in close settings to vote. Universal mail-in balloting 2.0 is underway. Because it's literally the only hope they have of stopping the red tsunami that's coming. Uh, Let's go to Frank, who's calling us from Brook Park on AM 1420, The Answer. Frank, good morning. Go right ahead. Thank you. Congress, I understand, is on a two-week recess. And I believe our very well-paid senators and congressmen should be using this recess to poll their constituencies at town hall meetings or whatever way they want to do it. The current invasion of the United States borders must be stopped. I say pray for Ukraine, but you can't stop a, a brutal guy in another country who's right in his own neighborhood. But we must stop the invasion, the existing invasion of our U.S. neighborhoods. And just picture New York yesterday. What a surprise in Brooklyn. Cute little town in New York. However, that could be any one of those guys coming across the borders. They look pretty strong and tough. I wouldn't want them to be my neighbors, and there's thousands of them. Let's have the town hall meetings, Congress and Senate, straighten it out, pull your constituency in these two weeks you have off. It's not just a vacation. You're too well paid. Thank you. Frank, thank you for the phone call. Um Here's the thing. Uh, I don't disagree with either point you were talking about, but they do not they do not blend together. Um, what I mean is, I don't disagree with you that the members of Congress during the recess recess should reach out to their constituents, find out what the most important issues are, uh, and most of the time they do that. Most of the time when they're in recess, they're having town hall meetings or they're going to various groups uh, that are meeting within that period of time in their districts because they do. They want to they want to have face time with the voters. They want to make sure that they get reelected. Remember, members of Congress, the House side, uh, have to run again every other year. That's the way the you know the the framers decided it. So they got to run every other year. So of course they're out there talking to their constituents, whether it be polling or town hall meeting and discussing or whatever. But the second part of that, where you talk about we have to stop the invasion at our border, isn't a congressional issue. Um, it's a Brandon issue. The law already says that you cannot come into the United States uh, illegally without permission. And he continues to let it happen because it is something that is politically advantageous to him, or at least to their party, long-term, not short-term. So Congress can't, I mean... I suppose Congress could pass a law saying we insist that you follow an existing law, which is protect our border and our national security and our national sovereignty. I suppose Congress could do that, but he's going to veto it anyway. And moreover, the Republicans, or excuse me, the Democrats control the House right now, so they wouldn't even be able to get it passed if they wanted to. They're not going to cross uh, Herr Biden or Herr Brandon, if you will. They're not going to cross him. So when the Republicans take over, if they can avoid the dreaded midtermicron variant and actually have free and fair elections, can they pass something that says, hey, do what the law already says that you're supposed to do, and that is protect the nation, security, and sovereignty? Yeah. But again, you're dealing with a president who has the final say on this. And Brandon has made it very, very clear. American sovereignty does no, lo- no longer exist. American borders no longer exist. We, we are now an open borders country. 
And all you've got to do is when you cross, and I don't care if you're coming from Ukraine or if you're coming from the Congo. I don't care if you're coming from, from Germany or if you're coming from Guatemala. I don't care if you're coming from anywhere around the world. All you've got to do is say, um, hi, um, we're, we're, we're refugees. Yeah, we're seeking asylum. From what? Um, I don't know, lots of stuff. Okay, don't worry about it. Go on. Find your spot. We'll, we'll ask you to come back later and tell you what you were seeking asylum and refugee status from. Uh, right now, you're, you're good to go. And that's it. That's the bottom line. That's the Brandon policy on our southern border. And there's no congressional action that can change that. Let's go to Cleveland next. John, you are on AM 1420, The Answer. John, go ahead, sir. I'm really learning at age 86. Uh, rapid fire. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the negative ads are polluting the air. It reminds me of an old Bennett surf, Arlene Francis. Watch my line. So we could have a debate. Throw the rascals out. It looked like we were assembling a whole rascals in. I was there for punchline. The next one, if I'm defeated, can I keep all the fundraised for my election? When I leave, I can have some money left over. In the primary, I can be a candidate in one party, chameleon, for the general election. I can set up a party to defeat. See, I'm not trying to throw the bite, you know, baby with the bathwater. Framers never thought this would be happening. Founding fathers will be rolling over in graves, some of the things I see at age 86, <laughs> because I feel sad. But on the other hand, I'm eternally hopeful. Otherwise, I wouldn't even listen to you and call you. How is that? Well, listen, uh, John, and I, and I appreciate that, and I'm hopeful as well. I'm not, I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater either, and thank you for the phone call. Um, it, it, is, it is polluting the airwaves, first of all, all of those ads that you're talking about, and it is really sad and disgusting that it turns out the way that it does in politics, but that's not new. This has been going on for decades and decades, most of the decades that you uh, have counted in your 86 years, and you've got a few years on me. But I am just as cynical as you are, yet hopeful, because I do see a way out of this you know we talked about treading water back in 2020 we talked about treading water until november of 2022 and it's getting closer and closer and closer and eventually we expect that red tide that red tsunami if you will to push us to shore and safe ground again uh and uh and that's what we're hoping for thank you so much my friend uh let's go to uh cleveland again and this time tj hi tj go ahead yeah you know bob i used to laugh at these people with their mask in the car and then i started to realize i'm i'm feeling sorry for them now you know, this Biden administration has instilled so much fear in people. I believe some people are suffering a form of PTSD. They're just simply terrified to take that mask off. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things. But the reason I, I think called... it, I think it's two things, uh, TJ. Hold the thought for a minute. You can finish. Um, I think many of them are terrified, but many of them are just flat-out virtue signalers. They want everybody to see exactly, like in the, the little spoof we did, uh, to see how woke they are. Uh, I wear my mask to encourage other people to wear the mask. No matter where I am, where, you know, if people can see me, I want people to see it because this is what is going to make us all safe. This is how we're going to get rid of the pandemic, completely ignoring the reality that the government will never allow this pandemic to go away, or at the very least, at least not until 2024. They're certainly not going to make it go away or help it go away by 2022 when the reins of power in Congress are up for grabs. So I think there's a virtue signal there as well as a fear that you're right. The Brandon administration has done an incredible job of stoking. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, i got to give you my take on Blystone. Yeah, please. You know, this man has to realistically realize he doesn't have a snowball chance in hell when in his primary. And it wouldn't surprise me if the DeWine people were behind 
him getting into this race to siphon votes off of a serious candidate like Renacy. And, you know, this DeWine, he's a sneaky little dude, and he's more Democrat than Republican. And that kind of tactics the Democrat Party does pretty well, you know, the sleazy stuff. And talking about Philadelphia, Bob, they're just preparing for the cheat again. The lockdown, the mail-in ballots, uh, watch for some of these other cities, Detroit, uh, Pittsburgh, to be doing the same thing to get ready for the big cheat in the midterm election. Yep, that's why I call it midtermicron. That's going to be the new variant that they use uh, because it's going to be just in time for the midterms. Thank you, TJ, uh, for the phone call. Um, a lot of ground there, obviously, and I'll, and I'll tell you this, uh, going back to the mask guy again and going back to the masking issue, there is a a very healthy amount, well, technically it's an unhealthy amount, but I use that word to mean a lot of, there's a very unhealthy amount of fear that they continue to push, and there are a lot of people that have bought into it, a lot of people who truly believe, and, and the worst part about it is, for me, is that the same people who are listening to the Brandon administration stoke that fear and making them keep these masks on. Many of them have said, by the way, I'm never going in public without a mask again. They're talking not 10 months from now, 10 years from now. This is how they are because of just a lot of different you know, germs and viruses and things that might be out there. But, but the fear uh, uh, that they have is real, and they don't even listen to the science of the people who are telling them to be afraid. Because on one hand, they're telling you mask, 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 mask mandates are, are the way to go. But then if you listen to what Rochelle Walensky and uh, the CDC and others have said, they've admitted that, by the way, the masks don't work. And they don't hear that part. They said literally, unless it's an N95 or a KN95, if it's just the surgical masks, which say on the box that this does not do anything to prevent the spread or the transmission of coronavirus, or it's the cloth masks that you know your your grandmother made at her sewing machine just to, to make it personal for you. They don't work, and they've admitted as much, and yet they continue to make mask mandates, but they don't mandate N95s or KN95s. That lets you know that it's a virtue signal. It can't be a health decision if the health the, the science says that there is no health factor there. It's just about control. It's about virtue signaling and trying to intimidate people who aren't wearing masks into wearing masks like the other people are because of your concern for, the, for the, your neighbor and your friend and your family and the general public. And if they can convince you to do things like that, they can convince you to do anything. It's about control. 10.55. Got Neil McCabe on deck. He's going to be coming up in about 15 at 11.15. Uh, reporter for the Ohio Star. And uh, Neil's got a couple of big stories on the uh, gubernatorial race. Jim Renacy, uh pretty much invisible to Mike DeWine. It's bizarre. Jim Renacy is kicking DeWine's tail in the most recent polling. And DeWine is running ads and never mentioning Renacy's name. Maybe it's a strategy. I don't know. Uh, but Neil McCabe's got some thoughts on that. We're going to talk about it, among other things. By the way, speaking of that, Renacy is live on the program tomorrow. So Jim and AC will be with us, uh, I think, 9.35 tomorrow morning. You're going to want to be here for that. Uh, let's go back to the phones now, though, and Sally is in Berea. Hi, Sally. Go right ahead. Morning, Bob. I'm concerned about the status of Ohio elections because of the mismanagement from the uh, about the de- redistricting at the Supreme Court level and the general lackadaisical concern 
for getting information out timely about candidates, since mail-in ballots can be sent in soon. I thought we were assured of increased election integrity with a Republican majority in our legislature. So much for that. And I mentioned before about the likelihood of a request for universal universal mail-in balloting, Mm -hmm. and our legislature should hopefully veto it. Thank you. Thank you for the call and the points you made. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, um, we might have a majority Republican legislature or General Assembly, but and I hate to use the tired, worn-out rhino tag there, but these are Republicans in their names only. Uh, So many of them wearing red and thinking that they're doing the work of the people, but they're they're governing as as if they were blue. And I again, I know it's a very simplistic thing to say, but I think it's reality. I think it's reality. I think you look at the governor of the state of Ohio. Forget about the General Assembly for a second. Let's go to the executive. Mike DeWine has governed like a Democrat from the very beginning, particularly since the beginning of COVID. He governed like, and I'll use the names again and again, the ones that he most reminds me of, Andrew Cuomo, Gretchen Whitmer, and uh, 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 Gavin Newsom in California. The governors of New York, Michigan, and California. That's what Mike DeWine was like. Rather than being more like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott and Christy Nome and others, he governed like a Democrat. Locked down? Limit sizes, sending secret police to fine restaurants that are already bleeding and hemorrhaging money because of the lockdowns when they get them back open again. Oh, I saw two people standing up getting a beer at the bar. That's a violation. You need to be seated. Here's a $5,000 fine to a business that is already losing thousands every day because of the the ridiculous uh, DeWine policies. And that's just one example. I won't even touch right now what he's done to our schools. I am simply disgusted by the way our quote-unquote red legislature and our red governor's mansion are occupied by, by Democrats who are just parading around, and they know, I think a previous caller said it this way, and it's very true in many cases, these are people that could not get elected if they actually registered as what they are, Democrats, because Ohio's a red state. So they just register for the Republican side, and yeah, I like that. We'll vote R, 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 all day long, R, R, R. And they're just looking, you know, privately and laughing their heads off. These idiots think I'm going to govern like a, uh, you know, I'm going to cast my votes and my decisions in committees and in, and in House votes and in Senate votes like a like a Republican. These idiots have no idea who I am. And that's the same thing with Mike DeWine, which is why I'm so committed to getting him out of office for the good of the people of the state of Ohio today and for my kids who are the next generation of adults who are going to be making decisions in this state. He's got to go. It is criminal if Mike DeWine is allowed to remain. And speaking of criminal, it's a pretty good word to use when you discuss Mike DeWine anyway, First Energy. Uh, He cannot be allowed to stay in office. And since Joe Blystone is literally unelectable, you can probably figure out what the right move ought to be in order to get that guy out of office. Thanks so much for the phone call. And, yeah, we can only hope, by the way, that the elections will be free and fair in our state. Neil McCable, join us to talk more about that coming up from the Ohio Star as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. Screen, take us to news.
and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, hour number three underway now, 10 minutes past 11 o'clock. Thank you so much for being with us. I think I'd like to uh, start this hour with a message from alwaysright.us. Morning, Bob. I have a conservative colleague who plans on voting for Mike DeWine. And his reasons are that he voted for the recent gun bill and nobody knew what was happening during the pandemic. So he's forgiving any mistakes that he might have made during that time. Uh, he thinks it's better to have someone in office that you know and you know what to expect from them. And my mission is to convince him that this is a bad choice. Would you please devote some time to a show regarding why DeWine is a bad choice, you know, besides anything related to the scandemic? I would appreciate it. Thank you. Right, Have a well, good day. I'll tell you what, Christine, in Shalersville Township, boy, I feel bad. I know most of the communities uh, from which I receive messages and calls, but that one came from Shalersville Township, and I don't know where that is. But, Christine, thank you. For leaving that message at alwaysright.us on the sound off button there. You better believe I'll talk about that. I'm going to have a show devoted to getting rid of Mike DeWine. I'll do three hours. I'll line up guest after guest after guest after guest. However, I cannot do it without also talking about the scandemic. You called it a scandemic? Uh, I can't do it because so much of what has happened in the three years he's been in office happened during the two-plus years now of COVID. And it's all his decision-making that has put the state in a bad, bad place. So we will talk about all of the above in a future show, I promise you. And we'll talk about it right now on a more limited scale with our guest, reporter Neil McCabe from the Ohio Star, making his regular weekly visit with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Neil, good morning. How are you? Hey, fantastic, Bob. Great to be with you. I can't talk about, you know, the, the Cleveland Browns right now without mentioning Deshaun Watson. It's a big story. It's a huge story. <laughs> How do you talk about Mike DeWine and whether or not he should be reelected without talking about the pandemic and the lockdowns and the school uh, closures uh, and the uh, businesses that were damaged and the groups and the weddings and the funerals that were canceled and all of these other things without any science behind it at all? I don't know. Is it possible to talk about him without that? That's like when uh, Mark McGuire testified before Congress about his steroid use, and he says, I'm not here to talk about the past. And they're like, well, what are you doing here, friend? Uh, you know, there's also an overhang with DeWine, because who knows what the Biden Justice Department has waiting for him on the other side of this primary when it comes to the first energy uh, scandal. You know, who knows what they have, Right. And uh, why would they waste it before the primary? And if he wins that primary and he's the nominee, 
then we'll find out what the Justice Department has on him and his friends involving First Energy. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's so funny you say that, Neil McCabe, because I was talking uh, a short while ago about this with Jack Windsor about the um, lawsuit the great filed Jack against Windsor. the... The great, the Ohio Star. That's right. That's right. Who now runs the Ohio Press Network? Um, yeah. And he's reporting on, as you were as well, in the Ohio Star, the uh, the lawsuit filed against the Ohio Elections Commission against uh, or, uh, over the Joe Blystone uh, investigation and the order by the Secretary of State to repay all of these uh, illegal campaign contributions and so forth. And as we were discussing, you know, um, if Joe Blystone, by some miracle of God, and I don't know why I would call it that, but by some miracle, won the nomination on May 3rd, and then they start actually having the investigations by the Elections Commission, and then they come to find out all of the things that he did wrong, that's going to completely change and impact the race against the Democrat, probably Nan Whaley, in the general election. So very similar to what you're talking about with DeWine when it comes to First Energy. These things need to be known now. Yeah, it's hard to argue that Mike DeWine has been fully vetted when, you know, when the chief witness ends his life wearing a Mike DeWine T-shirt and nobody has an explanation. <laughs> no, you're right. You're exactly right. Um, so, you know, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit more about this because I want to talk about <clears throat> the DeWine ad. Ca- I'm going to come back to Blystone. Yeah. But I want to talk about the DeWine ad campaign that has finally ramped up a little bit, I guess, now that he got the uh, Ohio Republican Party dollars uh, to spend from the endorsement uh, on, on February 18th. Uh, so now he's out there spending. And his campaign is strangely avoiding and ignoring the challenge of Jim Renacci. You know, usually when we see these fights, these primary fights, there's differences of opinion and disagreements. Obviously, just look at the Senate fight, uh, and a lot of it is negative campaigning. Mike DeWine is not even mentioning the guy who is thrashing him in the most recent poll, 46% to 30%. He's completely ignoring the challenge from Renacy at all. Is there a strategy there that I can't figure out? Neil, what do you think? Well, first of all, you know, these Mike DeWine ads, it looks like he's on like a school trip, right? And it's like, wow. This is a farm? Wow, this is what a factory looks like? Oh, it's so great to talk to farmers. I'm so glad to meet you people. I've heard so much about you. Uh, I think the key is that if he attacked Renacy, it would only improve Renacy's voter ID. And really, I think that's the Achilles heel for Renacy because he hasn't gone, he hasn't gone on TV the way others have, and we saw, you know, what Mike Gibbons was able to do with, uh, you know, Super Bowl ad and everything else. It's my understanding that the Renacy campaign is going to start a real TV blitz. They were wait, they were waiting to see what DeWine came up with for his sort of final argument. Mm. And DeWine's not talking about, you know, I, I, I oppose Biden. Well, hey, thanks. You, you and everyone else I know, uh, you know, I remember that uh, Dave Bratt beat Eric Cantor because Eric Cantor launched all these negative ads against Dave Bratt. Nobody had ever heard of him, but people figured, well, if Cantor hates him, maybe I'll vote for him. And Dave, Dave Bratt was put in Congress because the, the negative ads did a jujitsu on Cantor. And I think, really, that's what DeWine's afraid of. And we just have to see how it's going to work out. Renacy is doing sort of, uh, uh, you know, under the surface. He's doing, you know, digital ads. He's doing text messages. He's doing emails. 
Uh, he's also doing the, the phone banking where he's identified more than 900,000 Republican voters. And, you know, they've reached out to, I don't know what number you saw, but, you know, from what I understand, it's about 150 of these voters have already been contacted. But this isn't what TV ads do. And so I'm waiting to see what Renee's TV ads are like. That's a great point, and I can understand that strategy, by the way, kind of counterterrorism, if you will. Wait and see what they're going to launch at you from the DeWine side and then be able to respond with your ad campaign after that. So I get all of that, and that does make sense. Um, Renacy, though, for being under the radar, uh, largely, is picking up a lot of endorsements, a lot of Republican clubs, a lot of county GOP, including the second largest. We talked about it, of course, in Cuyahoga County. Uh, uh, supporting him and Mike DeWine showing up there and then tucking tail and fleeing uh, when he knew he wasn't going to get the vote. Um, so he's picking up a lot of support from conservative clubs. Um, are there enough conservatives to boost or to boot Mike DeWine out of office, or is it going to take centrists, uh, moderate Republicans who are tired of him and going to look at a businessman like Renacy? Well, you know, I think that's why Renacy needs to, maybe Renacy will do an ad where he visits the farm, he visits the factory. He's at the picnic table with a family. Uh, you know, he needs to put out those sort of ads that create that sort of good feeling about him. But aren't you those know, the kind I, of ads you just made fun of DeWine for doing, where it looks like exactly. he's on a field trip? <laughs> yeah, whereas DeWine is actually, but DeWine has a guy on his, a guy, DeWine has a guy who's catching up on him. Renacy doesn't really, what negative, why even bother going negative on DeWine? I mean, he's already done. I think that, uh, I think we'll have to see, you know, and, you know, you're, when you played that tape of, uh, the woman who was like asking for a friend about mm-hmm. why, why, why we should oppose DeWine, you know, yeah, he signed the gun bill, but he also pushed for red flag laws. And exactly. It's like, hey, fella, I can't think of a better way to kill somebody that I want murdered than to basically draw, call the local police department and just say, hey, my friend has guns and he hates cops, and they will do a no-knock raid on his house, and that guy will be killed. The, the number of people killed in these red flag raids is insane, and it's criminal and it's evil, and I think that's why you don't hear about red flag laws anymore, but certainly DeWine loves his red flag laws. Well, and here's another conundrum, uh, if you will. Um, he got the Ohio Right to Life endorsement. And yet he chose a Planned Parenthood activist and advocate as the director of the Ohio Department of Health during the pandemic. He named Amy Acton a pro-abortionist, an unapologetic, loud, outspoken pro-abortionist uh, as the health director. And yet somehow he managed to get the Ohio Right to Life endorsement. I, it's just like the Restaurant Association. Wow. The Ohio Restaurant Association, well, after he killed 4,000 Ohio restaurants and crippled thousands more, uh, and have them on the verge of going under, he gets that endorsement. I don't understand, you know, what he's got on some of these individual organizations that are giving him endorsements. The first two shocks that I learned when I started covering uh, Capitol Hill in Washington. Shock number one, the organization that opposes gun rights the most and the most effectively is the NRA. And the organization that opposes ending abortion on Capitol Hill more effectively than anyone else, is National Right to Life. And National Right to Life, hands down, they killed the heartbeat bill that uh, that everyone was going to... They, they, they had enough sponsors to pass the bill. And Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy refused to bring it onto the floor because National Right to Life 
said, we don't want you to bring this on the floor. It's like they don't want the game to be over. They, they don't actually want to win and have to find another job. And so I, I'm not confused when I hear that Right to Life has supported somebody who is abortion curious. Abortion curious. That's an interesting way to, way to phrase that. Let me go back, Neil McCabe, to, um, yeah. we're talking to Neil McCabe of the Ohio Star. <clears throat> Let me go back to Blystone. Uh, also, uh, asked by a previous caller is, do you think that DeWine is, 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 uh, boosting Blystone and keeping him in the race, knowing that it's going to siphon off votes from Renacy? A previous caller asked me that question. There have been multiple reports of full uh, campaign donor, when I say full, meaning maxed out campaign donors to the DeWine campaign, also giving less money to Blystone just to keep him floating and to keep him there. Do you agree with that? If I'll say this. If DeWine is not supporting Blystone, he should be. And certainly, if he was anyone else, with the, with the reports that he's turned in, it's not like you have to do an investigation on Blystone. His report that he signed are enough to get him in trouble, at least thrown off the ballot. And, you know, the Secretary of State has been sort of playing footsie with it, uh, Frank DeRose, and, you know, obviously the Elections Commission is refusing to act, basically shrugging it off, blowing off complaints, basically telling people, you know, go fish. And that's why the the lawsuit was filed Monday to Mm. do a Mirandus, which is Latin for do your job, to get the Ohio Supreme Court to order the Elections Commission to hold that expedited hearing on the two complaints that were filed by Mary Capella uh, Friday. And so one on one on contributions, one on expenditures. And so, you know, what's going on? Either you have election laws or you don't. If, if, if you're just going to say, hey, you do whatever you want, then just say that. And so all of the hacks who are working at the Elections Commission – they can go. They can be liberated to the free market, and for the, the you know, they can find a job in the private sector, like all the chumps. Well, I'm going to have one of the uh, members of the Board of Elections on tomorrow. She's uh, she's not one of the hacks, so she's been on the job less than a month. Christina Hagen was actually just appointed to fill a spot on that board less than a month ago. She she t- told me this morning when I reached out to her, nice uh, nice uh, welcome to the commission being sued about a week into the job. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I'm going to ask her tomorrow what the plans are for that, uh, because I concur. Yeah. It's got to be done before the votes are cast, not after the votes are cast. Or again, as I said before, you know, the comparison to DeWine and First energy hurting in the race against the Democrats. Same thing here. If Blystone were to win, then all of the uh, um, campaign uh, finance violations come out in full after the commission does this re- uh, investigation after the primary. It's just handing the Democrats uh, the governor's mansion in uh, in November. So uh, it's it's pretty important. And I hope the committee. By the way, I have your story. To anybody who's checking it out, go to alwayswrite.us. I have Neil McCabe's story in the Ohio Star linked as my feature story right now on alwayswrite.us. You can learn more about that mandamus that was filed uh, in the lawsuit against the Elections Commission. So we can Let me ask you, can I ask you something, Bob? Yeah. I don't know how many time we have, but do Givens ever get back to you on uh, the rest of that transcript or tape from the podcast? I thought oh, yeah. You, you were, okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, find? it's linked. I mean, it's linked. There there was absolutely context before and after the 30-second clip that was put out there making it sound like he was calling for a tax increase on the middle class for not paying a fair share. He says literally right before that, the Democrat narrative is, and then he goes on to say what he said there. So, yeah, wow. and all, all of that is also linked. I've got three consecutive links <clears throat> 
on alwaysright.us. My interview with Gibbons, uh, beneath that is the full Crane's 20-minute podcast uh, interview that he did with them last September, which does have that context, and beneath that, the original 30-second allegation. So all three of those things That's a crooked edit. Yeah, very it is. crooked edit. It, it's politics. It is a very crooked yep. edit, and that's uh, and that's what he was trying to say. That's why I brought him on to say, is there something here we're missing? Because I'll be honest with you, Neil. When I first heard the clip, the thirty seconds, I thought, what the hell is wrong with this guy? I mean, seriously, Mike Gibbons, you literally just said that the middle class aren't paying the fair share, their fair share. Uh, and then I listened to the rest, and it was like, oh my god, is that dirty politics? That's just yeah, dirty. I was thinking like. I was thinking like Romney in the forty-seven percent. I was like, it was like he was stuck in pre-Trump Republican talk. <laughs> yeah, it was very confusing, uh, but it's clear there. Like I said, in the Cranes Business uh, uh, interview or podcast, the full twenty minutes is there. The relevant part where they are talking about taxes is it starts at nine forty-five. I encourage everybody to watch it, listen to it, and understand exactly what he said. Just before you make up your mind, and I'm not telling you who to vote for, but before you make up your mind in that Senate race, learn the truth rather than the the, the dirty politics and the dirty editing that goes on. Neil McCabe doesn't do that. Uh, does great work at the Ohio Star. Neil. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Be good, man. All right. 1126, right back after the news. turns to the left, turn to the right, always right. With Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Always right radio, indeed, on AM 1420, The Answer. The companion to the radio show is the website, which is alwaysright.us. Lead story on the website right now, lawsuit. Elections Commission dragging feet on Blystone violations. The gubernatorial candidate was ordered to return illegal contributions by the Secretary of State. The Elections Commission isn't acting. The election is in less than three weeks. Makes no sense whatsoever. Read that story there. That was Neil McCabe's story on uh, the Ohio Star. Other top stories on the website right now. Jim Renacci continues to rack up conservative endorsements in his primary fight against DeWine. You should check those out. That's also an Ohio Star story. Uh, Black Lives Matter claiming that the $6 million California mansion they bought was bought for cultivating joy in the black community. (laughs) The mansion is built in an exclusively white neighborhood. (laughs) They have stolen tens of millions of dollars on the fraud that is BLM Inc. Black Lives Matter Inc. has stolen contributions and donations, tens of millions of dollars. They're building their mansions that Patrice Cullors is buying in exclusively white neighborhoods, and they say it's for the cultivation of joy in the black community. Oh, I just, I just absolutely love it. And by the way, should not be lost upon anybody. The reality that Black Lives Matter was founded by Patrice Cullors and her partner on Marxist principles. They believe in dismantling the Western structure uh, and the Western nuclear family structure 
And they are trained Marxists trying to rebuild the country in a Marxist manner. And in order to do that, they used capitalism and buying a $6 million mansion in an all-white neighborhood to be owned by Black Lives Matter. That's just outstanding. Other headlines. Right now, you should check out these stories on alwaysright.us. The New York Times has called Elon Musk's possible future plans of taking over Twitter treacherous and a threat to Twitter. It would be a threat to Twitter, but it would be a boon for free speech. Ron DeSantis signed into law, or signed a law, rather, that supports involved fatherhood in Florida, which is obviously an antiquated idea in the American left because they don't believe in the, quote, patriarchy. Read that story. National Review, Ron DeSantis, Part 2, could face challenges as a presidential contender, and there's no doubt about that. The more popular he gets, the more he's going to start to get the Trump treatment from the American left and the American left press. You'll also see Joe Biden's LGBTQI plus embrace continuing with the new ex-gender passport. That's a Breitbart link. And also uh, the White House coronavirus czar says federal mask mandate extensions are possible. And we talked about that earlier. Get ready for more of driving without uh, driving alone with a mask guy. All of those stories are there. We compile them for you in one convenient place at alwaysright.us. Now, speaking of the LGBTQ trans agenda. I want to share this because I didn't get a chance to talk about it with Neil McCabe or Jack Windsor, both of whom who, who uh, study and cover the state of Ohio for us. The Ohio High School Athletic Association met on Friday. We talked about this last week. They met this past Friday to hold their little summit on indoctrinating student-athletes in Ohio by way of teaching the indoctrination to athletic directors and other administrative officials at schools throughout the state of Ohio in order to make Ohio high school athletics more inclusive and friendly and welcoming, which means, of course, it's another way of saying, we are going to ruin sports by bringing transgender policies into it. Girls, sorry about your luck. I have in front of me the Ohio High School Athletic Association new guidelines for transgender participation. For transgender females, as they are called, and that basically means men, but they call it MTF, which is male to female. In other words, boys who want to compete against the girls. A transgender female, a.k.a. boy, who has not yet begun medically prescribed hormone treatment for purposes of gender transition may participate on a boy's team at any time and no ruling is needed from the executive director's office. A transgender female, or boy, who is taking medically prescribed hormone treatment related to gender transition may participate on a boy's team and no ruling is required from the executive director's office. Before a transgender female or boy can participate in a girl's sport or on a girl's team, she, they use the pronouns that the, the, the Rainbow Mafia insists that they use, must either, one, have completed a minimum of one year of hormone treatment related to gender transition, which means nothing, or two, demonstrate to the executive director's office, you ready for this? By way of sound medical evidence that she does not possess physical, and then parenthetically, bone structure, muscle mass, testosterone, hormonal, etc., or physiological advantages over genetic females of the same age group. 
in any case where a transgender student is taking hormone treatments related to gender transition and an approval is needed from an ED from the ED office, executive director's office, that treatment must be monitored by a physician and the executive director's office may request reports on the treatment during the situation. So let me just pause there and get to the core of that. It's going to be up to the executive director, period. That's what it is. Anybody who, any male who wants to go and win championships against girls the way Leah Thomas did in the NCAAs. Anybody who wants to do that just simply has to show to the executive director's office, quote, sound medical evidence, end quote, that she, as they say it, does not possess a physical advantage. How in the living world is science and medical evidence supposed to prove that a boy does not have the bone structure of a boy. That a boy doesn't have the muscle mass of a boy. That a male doesn't have the testosterone of a male. Or other physiological... Lung capacity is another one that give males physiological advantages over females in virtually any and every physical endeavor, short of childbirth which they also want you to believe that males can participate in. It's insane. So in other words, it's completely up to the discretion of the executive director as to whether a male can participate against females. And you know doggone well that he's not going to cross the LGBTQ mafia and say, no, you're denied. You're not really a girl. You have to compete against the boys. You know the executive director is always going to side with the trendy LGBTQ rainbow mafia. So if you've got a kid up and coming in Ohio sports, particularly if you've got a daughter, be prepared. Make sure you know that she is not only going to be competing against the best girls in the state, but against boys who decide, yeah, this is fun and trendy. My teachers say I can be whatever I want to be. I want to be a girls champion. Good luck with that. Thanks to my guests today, Jack Windsor and Neil McCabe. Thanks to Johnny Howes running the show. Thanks to you for listening. Everyone have a great day. And let's all remember, let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.